Welcome to episode 58 of the Untangled Faith podcast. Author Rebecca Davis joins me today as we talk about common ways scripture has been twisted, including but not limited to definitions of gossip and bitterness. You don't want to miss this one. I need to stay away from this bitter person because then I might be defiled if I, if I spend time with them. So then the, the abused, the people who have been wounded, are now being isolated. Yeah. And that happens over and over and over because of this twisting of the scripture. This typical way gossip is taught about in the modern church. Gossip is speaking to anyone about a problem who is not the person who is not part of the problem or part of the solution. So I wish I had known about Dave Ramsey at that time. This is not the biblical definition of gossip. It's a made up definition. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hey, I know what it's like to know that you should do something but you just can't figure out a way to actually do it. I bet getting started with a counselor is one of those things. Faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. But this episode is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. They are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Sometime between 2018 and 2020, I stumbled across a blog post by Rebecca Davis in which she talks about widely used interpretations of the scripture verse that talks about not letting a bitter root grow up. You know the one. In addition to sharing the takes that we've all heard, Rebecca also shared some more context for that verse and proposed another option for how to read and apply it. I sent that link to my friend, Lanita. She was my Bible study leader for a while, and she responded after doing some reading herself. She said she couldn't disagree with Rebecca's conclusion. So that's how I met Rebecca for the first time. Since then, she's been busy writing and publishing a series of books called Untwisting Scripture. Rebecca's work pairs so well with the message I'm sharing here, and I'm so happy to share this conversation that I had with Rebecca with you. I'm so excited to chat. It's good to meet you. I think I first stumbled across your work. I think the first thing I found was your writing about um, bitterness. And that was the first thing I wrote about. (laughs) And it blew my mind. So (laughs) I am so thrilled to be able to chat with you. Um, I am very excited about that one. Yes, that that book was published in 2016. And it had been a bunch of blog posts first, a bunch of disorganized blog posts that I pulled together and got organized. Yeah, I think you're digging into this is just so timely. So as we have this conversation, 
I want to talk about us, you know, the idea behind the series of books that you have done of untwisting scripture and maybe just some specific things that are really very prevalent in uh, evangelical culture, for sure, that we take for granted as maybe a biblical truth that you say, well, you know what? Now, when I looked at it, maybe it was more cultural or maybe it come from something else. If we look at the the context of scripture, it might not be saying what we think it does. So first of all, though, I want to ask, like, what inspired you to go down this path of of work of relooking at some of these things? That's a really good question, and I love answering that question. I got started. Well, to back up a little bit, I came into the life of a domestic abuse victim survivor in the church in 2006 and Mm. I helped her and she needed help in a lot of practical ways and then I was just a a, I listened because I didn't understand at all I didn't understand anything so I just listened for a couple of years and uh, went with her to her church counseling and thought I was going to be learning how to counsel well and found out that I was actually getting an education in the problems with church counseling in cases of abuse. It took several years, though, for me to really understand what was happening. And then in 2012, uh, a sexual abuse survivor from within the church came into my life, and I started hearing more. I had heard a little bit from the domestic abuse survivor, but I began hearing more about how scriptures were twisted. I didn't have that term, scripture twisting, in my head at the time. It was more just like, that isn't right. That isn't what the Bible says that isn't what the bible means that's not what that's about and i was feeling this indignation that certain Mm. things have been used to keep her in place and especially when it came to childhood sexual abuse Mm -hmm. it it was just like i i just i just was feeling this extreme indignation and especially with the word bitterness and with the with the concept of rights she said we were told the bible teaches that we don't have any rights and i'm just going oh So I was really, I was angry. So those were the two things I started on first, the bitterness and the, and the not having any rights. And I found lots and lots of people who taught what she was talking about. It was not at all hard to find that, but I was thinking that isn't what the Bible teaches. What they're doing is taking these little things out of context and saying it proves their point when it doesn't prove their point. So for bitterness it was pretty easy because it was a single word for the concept of rights. I had to do it. It was a little more intensive or, or a little bit more complicated, but for bitterness, I just said, okay, I'm going through the Bible. I'm going to study every single use of that word and the associated words. Like you are in the gall of bitterness. So Peter said to Simon, so I thought, all right, I'm going to study gall. What's that talking about? So I just, I just went through all of them and studied all of them and I did it. With an open mind in a sense, I wanted to find out what the Bible really taught about it, but not completely open because I knew that the Bible wasn't teaching that when an abuse survivor is trying to get help or trying to warn other people. The thing that so often is the scripture that's so often used is, and I don't even know what version it would say it like this, but that you have a root of bitterness and that don't let a root of bitterness grow. Yes. Hebrews 12, 15. 
so that's one I really go after. I really tackle that one. And it was somewhere in a sermon or something that I heard. It, it was not in the context of bitterness or, or what I was doing with it, but I heard compared this scripture with a scripture in Deuteronomy. And I thought, I never knew that that was an allusion to Deuteronomy, but here they are. They line up. They're parallel with each other. So studying that from a perspective of wanting to understand what the bitterness is about in Hebrews was, it was just so eye-opening because I love it when the New Testament and the Old Testament work together yes. and help, help shed light on each other. What did you learn then? Let's dig right in. Let's just dive right into that one because that seems to be a jumping off point for you and in, in really wanting to look at messages that are shared that may or may not be actually true. So what did you learn when you looked yes. at that? All right. So let's see. I should have the I should have that Bible verse totally memorized and in front of me. You can let look me it do up the best and make I sure. can. Yes. <laughs> let me do the best I can with it. Um that it says see to it, and I, I'm probably going to be having some King James in here because that's sure. what I memorized in. See to it there is found no one among you the congregation of Christians is generally understood with a root of bitterness who's like Esau who because this root of bitterness will defile many many will be defiled by mm -hmm. it now I slaughtered that I didn't quote it right. right but that's, that's the basic idea so then we go back to the scripture in Deuteronomy first of all how that's typically interpreted if you don't forgive your abuser and the abuse, forgiving your abuser means not talking about it anymore, not thinking about it anymore, never having nightmares, all of these things. That's what it means. Yeah. If you have all, any of these things, that means you haven't forgiven, which can just in itself can be completely taken apart. But if you do any of those things, that means you haven't forgiven. If you haven't forgiven, this means you're bitter. If you don't take care of it quick, then you're going to have a root of bitterness. Yeah. And, and this would be like a long term, like impact on you that somehow mm -hmm. negatively mm -hmm. impacting you. And it's your mm -hmm. fault. Oh, completely your fault. And it goes down into you like you're poisoned, you're defiled. And then you will defile many around you with your bitterness. So what that ends up doing, all right, and I'm, and I'm saying this is a wrong interpretation. Yeah. That's not mm -hmm. That's not the interpretation. It's a very common interpretation. I believe it is it, right. It's so common. It's that's how it's interpreted. But when you take it to the Deuteronomy passage and line it up phrase by phrase, you see that the root of bitterness isn't your unforgiveness or your uh, sinful thought pattern. It is a person. It is a person in the congregation or a group of people who are causing trouble in the church and how they're causing trouble is outlined in that Deuteronomy passage. So let me see if I can pull that up. It says, beware, lest there be, this is Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 19. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. So you see, it's not talking about an abuse survivor trying to get help. It's talking about someone within the congregation whose heart is turned away from the Lord mm -hmm. to go serve other gods, usually secretly. This is a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. 
this is one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, the covenant of the people of God, he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe. Though I walk in the stubbornness or twisted obstinance of my heart. This is the words of an, of a secret abuser. And most abusers are secret abusers. Yeah. And this is exactly a description of that. He's blessing himself in his heart secretly saying, I'm going to walk in the stubbornness of my heart, but I'm going to be safe anyway. Nothing's going to happen to me. And then it says, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. And when I saw that last line, I immediately thought of Jesus on his way to the cross when he said in Luke 23, if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in a dry? He's the green tree. The people who have hardened their hearts against him are the dry tree, and they are subject to God's, to leaving the people of God, and they will pull many with them. Hebrews is full of warnings. Don't be led away. Don't be led astray. This is one more warning. If there is one of these people or a group of people in your congregation, don't let them pull you away because by their bitterness, by their poison, which is insidious, poison can be very insidious. It's often it's when you're coming to to physical poison in this material world, poison can often be tasteless and odorless, and yet it can do great damage these people who put poison into the congregation can end up pulling many people away with their poison mm. that's what hebrews twelve fifteen is saying according to the parallel passage in deuteronomy and i do love how in your books you have lots of uh you pull a lot of verses you show a lot of context and you show that meaning in the historical and the language in there is it's not just an idea that you had. There's there's actual, uh, she, um, if you read this book, which I highly recommend you read her series, uh, Rebecca does, this, does the work here. She does a lot of homework to show that this is not a crazy interpretation that she's come up with. That's so interesting because we will read that word bitter and interpret it according to our 2020 brains, our 2022 brains and think, oh, this is somebody that has hurt and, and they can't let really go. bad and they it's can't still go yeah they the, still feel the hurt. Yeah. So i just need to stay away from them that's the solution i need to stay away from this bitter person because then i might be defiled if i mm. if i spend time with them so then the the abused the people who have been wounded are now being isolated yeah and that happens over and over and over because of this twisting of the scripture and, you know, the books are called Untwisting Scriptures, so yeah. I want to be sure to have plenty of scriptures in them to yes. show that it's not just me. It's not mm-hmm. just my thoughts. It's the Bible. It's it's what the Bible really teaches. And I'm very passionate about that because, because it's the Word of God, and I want to show people the God you're hearing about from these abusers and abuse enablers is not the God of the Bible. Yeah, that's not who he really and is. And there's actual, really real life consequences for when we get this wrong, and often, oh my god, hurts the terrible. most vulnerable, right? Yes, yes, that's what I'm seeing, and that's what I saw in my friend who first motivated me to move forward in this work in 2012. That's when that started in the book, and I started. I, I was very, very new in this. It was like entering another dimension. Yeah. And 
so for me, it was a lot of time of learning, listening and learning and, and then studying. It does take time to like process all of that. And I have found that the work that comes out of that sort of inner work and private work for a while, even if you're like writing about it a little bit here and there is so valuable then when you've had time to really very important. Yes. Let it work out. I shared a quote from one of the, that book series about how, about believing the best (laughs) and I'm not believing the best of people. Um, I think think, that was from the most recent one, the one that just came out. It might've been. Yeah. Um, was that the Christian community seems to have mastered the art of <laughs> neglecting evil in the name of believing the best in others. The idea of believing the best sounds so lovely. And I don't mean, like, is that scripture? I don't know. But you know, no, it's not. But, but um, it, there's such a double standard there. Because who are we believing the best about? I guess is the it's question. It's the ones who are accused abusers. And generally the ones who have experienced the abuse are very quickly accused of being a, having a root of bitterness. Yeah. So that people aren't believing the best about them. And that was the chapter when I sent this book out to my beta readers, that was the chapter that engendered the most emotional response because of that double standard. They yeah. say my, my pastors, when I um, went to them about my abuse, they said they wanted to talk to my abusers and believe the best about my abusers. And they did not believe the best about me. They mm. accused me of making it up. They ended up excommunicating me. So I heard this story over and over and over. And I've experienced, I've walked with friends through this experience. Like they say, well, I'm going to try going to my elders. They seem responsive. They seem like they'll believe me. And then they end up getting excommunicated. Rebecca, is there a verse that is that people base that on to not like that you should believe the best, or is this some sort of thing that's just come up in our culture that I ha- if there is one, I haven't seen it. I have a quote in here. My pastors told me the Bible teaches that we should believe the best about people. And I'm thinking, so where is that? Because it seems to disregard our sin nature, doesn't it? I don't. It's like the opposite of what they teach about how sinful we are. Yeah. So because this will be the same pastors who talk about how I'm the worst sinner I know, and you're the worst sinner, you know, and then we're supposed to believe the best. So I just, it doesn't make sense, but it, I didn't need to try to understand it since it wasn't true. I don't try to understand lies. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, and as I was thinking through that and I, I shared the quote online, I was writing a little bit about it and. Tell me if you agree with where I have landed. I don't think the answer is that we want to believe the worst. I think the answer is that we want to believe the truth, that we want to lean towards what is true. How does that land with you? To believe the truth. And sometimes the truth is terrible. Sometimes our paradigm needs to be blown. Mine certainly was. My paradigm was blown starting in 2006 with the first friend and then in 2012 and ongoing my paradigm was completely blasted of um, church is basically a safe place you Mm -hmm. know and people really are basically who they present themselves to be I mean all all of us have struggles and so forth but for the most part you know everybody's who they present themselves to be yeah and 
oh my goodness, it was completely blasted. Yeah, I can resonate with that. I think if we, for a long time, are in faith communities where we benefit from it and we have some sort of privilege and don't really see the ugly, there's a lot of really wonderful things to experience. Right. Um, It's it's really easy to disregard the little questions that other people might have. We, we might call them little questions. They're, they're big to them. What I'm seeing is that, that people might test us with little questions mm-hmm. and see if we respond. And if we don't respond well, then they won't go any further than that. Yeah. Then if we do respond well, if, if, we, if we show that we get what they're talking about, then they might trust us with a little bit more and a little bit more until we find out they really have this huge story. Yeah, that they are afraid no one will believe. So this is the kind of thing that I have been very privileged to become a part of. Again, it's just a paradigm blasting thing. The thing is, I already knew the Lord Jesus Christ really, really well. I had seen him walk me through some really, really hard things. My faith was shaken only in that, Lord, why would you allow these evil people to to prosper like this? It wasn't shaken to say, well, these evil people actually represent the true God. I never believed that. I always knew they did not represent the true God. It was just this, why do the evil prosper thing, which is right in the Bible. I think Psalm yeah, 73 yeah. starts out with, why do the evil prosper? Yeah, so it's I, I can re- resonate. Yes, it's so hard because it seemed like these were the good guys and these are the bad guys. And I always, I, I never thought that the bad guys would be claiming to act in the name of Jesus. And some of them are running Christian organizations yeah. and, and our pastors, and they may, many and of they've them written didn't, books. Yeah. They didn't. Intend I've, I've read and bad. appreciated the books yeah, uh, yeah. The, of some of the people that I've now found out were really, really bad people. Once you get um, a, a, a reputation, I might say of being someone that people can talk to, Yeah, you start to find out things about people so that you know, well, this person isn't safe. This person isn't safe. This person isn't safe. Yeah. And they might have good sermons or at least some good sermons. Yeah. But if you know something about their character, that is not good. I, I just feel like I can't recommend them. Yeah. Yeah. I know of se- several people that just, they don't recommend people that aren't, haven't been dead and gone for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that they can make sure they know all that they can about them. Yeah. Even then you can find out things later on. Um, I don't know if you've yes. ever read the book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb by Jamin Gogan and Kyle Strobel. Oh. But they had done sort of a case study of different people who had really embraced the way of Jesus in the way that they were doing ministry, as opposed to the way our culture has really really pushed the way of the dragon in our church cultures and like it's, going, yes, and they had to marketing. go back in and re-edit it even after they, after it came out and been out for several years with one person that they had used as an, as a good example ended up being not, had ended up well, being a know, really bad abuser. Before I got into the work I'm doing now, I was writing missionary books, true missionary stories of real missionaries that were unknown, rel- mm-hmm. relatively little known missionaries. And the stories of what God did on the mission field in various countries. And I loved working on those. It was great. But after I got into this work, I found out that one of the missionaries I'd written about was an abuser. Mm. So I went back to my publisher, who was very understanding, Christian Focus Publications. I said, I found out that this person was an abuser. I will pay to have all these books taken out of print. 
and get his name out of there because it was a minor character. Mm-hmm. Get his name out of there. We'll, I'll rewrite the chapter because I thought even though he had been dead and gone for a while. Yeah, you were still learning who, about his history. The person who was abused mm-hmm. by him or or someone that that person knew reached out to me and told me. Yeah. So I thought, there you go. We just don't. We do our best. We don't know what we have. We do our best. And when, when right. we learn, right. we try to do what we can. If people have been hurt, we don't want to compound that. We don't want to make it any worse right. for sure. So right. I, I really appreciate that. Um, another issue that you talk about is near and dear to my heart because my husband worked for Dave Ramsey for quite a while, left oh, in yeah. 2019 because we had learned some things were going on there that were not consistent with what they claim publicly to be. And we were very, mm-hmm. very um, alarmed by it. But one of their big core values or rules is they have a no gossip policy. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Um, <laughs> you are not allowed to talk to anybody that cannot solve the problem for you. So you can't talk to your peers about anything right you can't you talk to, speak any... to people who are yes who can are help part solve of the, problem, the problem part of the solution yeah and if you yes. are found in violation of that you can lose your job same with the spouse of somebody wow. that works there so say i go out to dinner with some friends and say oh i'm frustrated with the way you know ramsey is handling xyz i wish i didn't do something Mm-hmm. My husband could get fired if that happened. Wow. In fact, what did happen, my husband did not get fired. He quit because they were covering for adultery for one of their high profile leaders. Yeah. Came to them with evidence of seeing that that was the case. They lied and said that the wife was the problem. Anyways, I, about a year later, uh, almost it was like December of 2020, COVID pandemic was raging and um somebody whose spouse worked for Ramsey um it was the wife that worked for Ramsey uh the spouse was sitting in a hotel lounge talking to some friends and just saying oh i wish dave hadn't drawn such a hard line about covid being like a conspiracy i just wish he hadn't freaked out about it that sort of thing well a person there called dave and said this guy talked about you They fired his wife and told the team that he, she was going to not work there anymore. And she basically was going to work on her marriage. Wow. And then Dave used that as an example of the gossip policy when he spoke at the Liberty University convocation last fall, a year ago. And he said, Here's our gossip policy. It's so amazing. In fact, if you don't follow it, we'll do this. And then he said, this woman married so poorly, we had to fire her. And oh he said Lord. that he, that the spouse had told everybody and that, that he was at a bar. It wasn't a bar. And that they told everybody there that Dave was trying to kill everybody with COVID, which isn't what he said either. Oh, my goodness. To all that, of the that, Liberty that University feels, students. That is feels so violating. Yeah. It so let's talk so about violating. gossip policy. Gossip. And, yeah. Where did this come from? All right. From? So gossip. What are your thoughts? Well, on? Do you have an opinion on this is so, what I'm saying, Rebecca? This, I have an opinion on this. And it's the book three is about your words and your emotions. So the first half is about your words. And it's all the things people say about your words 
about like don't gossip. And then the second half is about your emotions, about how, you know, you're not supposed to have them and what are they really and what does the Bible say and <laughs> yes. so forth. But anyway, the very first chapter of this book is about gossip. I present this typical way gossip is taught about in the modern church. Gossip is speaking to anyone about a problem who is not the person who is not part of the problem or part of the solution. So I wish I had known about Dave Ramsey at that time, at the time I was working on the book, but I was working, uh, I worked on, um, but I mostly quoted, here it is, Rick Warren. Oh, wrote, yes, that's Rick right. Warren quite a bit mm-hmm. about gossip uh, being talking with anybody about a problem if that person isn't part of the problem, part of the solution. And, and then I go on to say, of course, this is not the biblical definition of gossip. It's a made up definition. We didn't get into it in depth in this conversation, but in Rebecca's book, she mentions that one of the original individuals she found who publicly declared this false definition of gossip was Bill Gothard. He's well known for leading the basic life principle seminars that were pretty popular in the 70s and 80s. And he also published homeschool curriculum and had other events as well. The most well-known Gothard followers are the infamous Duggar family. Bill Gothard has had many substantiated allegations of grooming and sexual abuse made against him. If you're interested, I will have some links to this in the show notes. It's not surprising to me at all to discover that someone who inflicted this kind of abuse would embrace this definition of gossip because it protects the person who has the most power. And they get to decide who is part of the problem and they get to decide who is part of the solution. And they describe or, or they define the people who are part of the problem only as the abusers, the people who did wrong. Nobody else is part of the problem. And the people who are part of the solution, only the authorities. That's it. Nobody else can be part of the solution, only the authorities. So you can only speak to the person who did you wrong. Or, or somebody that they report to or that can hold them accountable, like right, fire the them or right. arrest so them. In a business environment, it would be the boss. Mm-hmm. Yes. In, in, a, in a church environment, it would be the church leaders, mm-hmm. so forth, like that. So I lay all that out first, mm-hmm. and then I go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about gossip? And what- So Rebecca, are you about to uh, tell me that the Greek word for gossip does not translate into- don't talk to somebody that isn't a part of the problem or a, the solution. Is this, I mean, I'm just getting this impression. What a spoiler alert. Amy. <laughs> I should have said spoiler alert on this. <laughs> I looked at it in both, both Hebrew and Greek. So I looked at both the old Testament and the new Testament. Uh, and I quoted a lot of the verses and finally came down to what the scripture tells us about gossip. People who are gossips, they are idle, they waste time, they don't have anything better to do. So it'd be comparable to, I mean, obviously they didn't have social media in those days. So the way to be idle would be to sit around talking with people. They are busybodies seeking out the news of other people's lives and families instead of taking care of their own. They are tattlers or talebearers, untrustworthy when it comes to confidences. That's how scripture lays out gossip. And that's very, very different from people talking about a problem and saying there is a problem in my life that I am being affected by that I wish could be fixed. 
And maybe that person is, is saying this in order to get some input as to how maybe it could be fixed. That's completely different from gossip. I list out some of the heart motives of some who are falsely accused of gossip. Oh, oh, first of all, the definition of gossip that I give idle talk conducted by self-exalting bearers of news who have no care about breaking confidences, no care about undeserved shame that the person they're talking about may feel and no desire to change the situation for the better. That's gossip. Mm-hmm. Completely different from what these people talk about. All Dave Ramsey, from what you described there, all he cared about is people not talking about badly, not talking badly about him and his cronies. He didn't have a problem talking badly about those people. Absolutely. So by his definition, when he spoke at Liberty University, he was gossiping. Except that his definition doesn't include him talking about people he perceives as being lower than him. That's not gossip, apparently, to him. Whereas for them to talk about him, even in a private, confidential way with like a small group of people, that's gossip. So I do lay out in this chapter some types of talk that are obviously not gossip because of how the Bible presents it but they are often called gossip. And one of my examples would be when Paul spoke to Timothy and named names about some people who had been a problem that wasn't gossip that was warning people. So when, when Julie Royce, for example, or Amy Fritz talks about Dave Ramsey in a warning way, that is not gossip. That's warning people about maybe what we might call a two-faced hypocrite who, who claims one thing, but does another. Yeah. And so, so those are all things that I lay out in that chapter. It ended up being a very long chapter because that's a really important accusation that needs to be dealt with very thoroughly. Rebecca and I will be right back after a quick break. If you have not already joined us on Patreon, there is no time like the present. The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded. As a thank you for their support, my patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with the public. I'm also planning some fun bonuses for December. You can access all of this by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Now back to the show. I appreciate that. And another thing I really appreciate, and I can tell has super informed your, your journey in your writing is the experience that you have had with people that have experienced like domestic violence, some sort of abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trauma in that way, because you lay out the fact that some of these people that have been abused and, and many of them would be in a committed relationship. Don't know. They don't even know that they, they wouldn't name it that because they, they haven't been like physically slapped or pushed around or something like that. And so when they come yeah. to you and say, Rebecca, I just feel confused all the time at home. Uh, this is happening. That is happening. You could either fall back on the old definition of gossip that is not scriptural and say, let's not, I don't think we should say anything bad about anything that's happening in your home, or if you feel uncomfortable with something, Rebecca with the new ears and some new sensitivity and new understanding would listen and maybe ask some clarifying questions. 
-hmm. and realize that this person, if they're told they cannot talk about it, they're not going to be able to even recognize that there is a, maybe a problem as serious as it is oh, and get right, the help right. that they no, need. They, it's one of my passions for Christians to be willing to listen and be willing to understand the way, the way I was. I know I was completely ignorant and I made mistakes, mm -hmm. but I was willing to keep listening and keep trying to understand and change. I know there must be other people like that out there. I can't be that unusual. This is part of who I'm writing for. Not I'm writing for the abuse survivors themselves, but also for the people who say, I'm willing to understand a different viewpoint mm -hmm. of what God says about these things. I'm willing to at least consider it mm -hmm. and to see how you lay it out according to scripture. And so this is a lot of what where, where my heart is for there to be more people who will listen to the woman who says, I'm, I feel like I'm just not submissive enough. I can't get him to be nice to the children, no matter how perfect I help them be. I try to help everything be perfect, but he still yells at them when he gets home, mm -hmm. things like that. So for somebody to be able to say, okay, I want to hear what's going on and to be able to listen and try to understand from her perspective and also to be informed about what abuse is like and how confused a person can be with it. And just, just being willing to listen and understand that's that's a big part of my heart for this sounds like the more you've dug into scripture the more you've seen it be a safe compassionate place for those that are vulnerable i will say that with a qualifier in fact i have a talk that i give about spiritual abuse when i've given it twice when you're ready to start reading the bible again when you're ready to try it out again, you put it away for a long time because it was used against you. When you read it, you hear your abuser's voice. So you just had to put it away, but you would like to try to read it again, hopefully see if you can understand who God is. And that's my heart. However, there are going to be some scriptures that are just going to jump out at you. That one was used against me. Yeah, that one was that one made that one spirals me back into a really dark place. So I do when I, when I speak about this, I do have a caveat that if that happens, put the Bible away again for a while. Ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what that really means. Possibly go do some research on it when you're ready. But in general, yes. And I encourage people to read the Psalms first go to the Psalms and get permission, give yourself permission to express emotion the way David did, because so many abuse survivors, when, when they were abuse victims, they just had to shut down all their emotions in order to survive. Yeah. So to start expressing their emotions again, and then I say, go to the gospels, especially Luke, because Luke shows Jesus as a person interacting with people, the most of all, the most of the four gospels, but all of them are wonderful. And and start asking the Lord to show you who Jesus really is and just stay there for a while. And this is no race. You're not in school. You don't have to take a test and you can just take your time. You can put it away for a few days, get it back out, try again, so take, go, go pace, go outside, get some fresh air. Because one of the things I talk about is when a person is triggered, like your abuser drove a red truck. Mm -hmm. And every time you see a red truck, you're thrown back into that bad place. Well, you want to get past that place of 
of being triggered by red trucks and that'll take some work and it can yes. be done. But when it comes to the Bible, not only do you want to get past the place of being triggered by it, but the Bible is going to be a part of your healing. Red trucks aren't going to be part of your healing, but the Bible can be part of your healing. Yeah. So there's even more of a motivation to, to get past the triggers. Yeah. I was talking with someone just, I think it was last night who said, every time I read the Bible, it's my dad's voice mm. who was abusive. And I want to be able to get past that place of just hearing his voice when I read. And that's part of trauma. And the Lord can do that work. And there are other tools that can be used too. I'm not a licensed counselor, so I don't have those tools, but I have some other tools that, that the Lord has given me and I can be part of the healing journey in that way. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love how you don't put a timeline on someone. Oh no. And that you clearly recognize that there are going to be triggers. Yes. Uh, Whatever was used in that environment that you were harmed in, Mm -hmm. even if those were good things are going to be tied to that harm. And so, yes. And so you could have a person who even who's read all my explanation about bitterness, understood it, believed it, but still, when they're reading the Bible and they come to those one of those verses about bitterness that their pastor harangued on or their father or whoever, their husband, um, it can just throw them back again. It's important to understand trauma, that that's what trauma does and yeah. to not be hard on yourself, that that's happening, that you can, you can be gentle with yourself about that and say, it will take time and the Lord will help me and I'll keep walking forward in this and I won't be mad at myself for that happening. That's just the way trauma is. I have a, I have kind of a funny question for you. So how nervous do you make pastors when you show up? Like, like if you're in a church, does your pastor like think, Oh no, Rebecca's going to be fact checking me. I may be one step away from being in her next book. (laughs) Well, maybe you think I'm better known than I actually am. (laughs) I'm uh, my husband and I go to a little church where the pastor doesn't know what I do. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Is that by design? You mean my design that I haven't yeah. told them what I do? Yeah. Yes. Cause I'd rather not get in trouble again. Again. <laughs> Sounds like a story, Rebecca. <laughs> a whole other podcast. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> maybe, or maybe not <laughs> a book that you write someday. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, I so appreciate your work. Where can people find you? My blog did not get changed its name changed to untwisting scriptures it probably should have but it's called here's the joy.com from back when i was writing devotionals yes and i do want people to still know that our joy is to be found in jesus christ and then on facebook i am rebecca davis untwisting scriptures and i post you know little things here and there and i will post my um when i write on my blog i'll post there and then you can see my books on amazon the Untwisting so, Scripture series. There are four so, so far. I'm hoping to write number five next year. So are you working on any other projects right now? I am a book coach. Uh, I, I help people write their books. Book coach, editor, ghostwriter. So I'm always working on projects, but not my own. I'm not, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably start my next book in January. That's so fun. Well, I appreciate your time. You really have changed lives. I'm so grateful um, that your work has pointed people back to the scripture. That That's such a wonderful thing. So thank you so much, Amy. It's been a privilege. Thank I you. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Untangled Faith. 
I hope this episode gives you some things to consider and take to your friends and have some conversations about. If you appreciate this episode, would you consider sharing it on Instagram and tagging me at Untangled Faith? Don't forget to check out the rest of my conversation with Rebecca, in which we talk about some of the problems with study Bibles. You can check this out at patreon.com slash untangled faith. I would love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook and Faith Untangled on Twitter. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangled faith. You can find the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. Special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by support from my patrons. Special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic and Phil and Susan Purdue. I'll see you next week.